Welcome to the Kill the Lion podcast. It's me, Cody Clark. We got an awesome one for you today. Gage Clift is here. You loved him in Living with Trevor, Not So Amazing, Seventh, all free movies on YouTube, feature-length films, wonderful actor. We're going to talk to him. We're going to have a good time. If you like the show, please support us. $2 per month. That's all it takes. KillTheLionFilms.com. You keep the show afloat. You keep the studio afloat, too. We make movies. You know that. And now, Gage Clift. Gage, nice to have you on. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm very, very excited. Cool. So I've been watching you uh, in Not So Amazing, Living with Trevor, 7th. You're kind of like, it seems like you're the go-to, like, if we need, like, a lead or we need friend of a lead or something in a movie in Yakima, Washington, we need Gage. What's it feel like to be in so much stuff coming out of uh, your hometown? Yeah, I think I think I've just gotten lucky a lot of times as far. I mean, especially like living with Trevor. That wasn't I don't know how how much of the story you know, but that wasn't really I wasn't supposed to play the lead character in that uh for a while and then it just kind of I got lucky and I ended up being the lead in that movie and I don't know, I just I guess uh after that is just kind of uh I don't know, they just wanted to cast me and stuff. I don't know, but it's uh it's been fun and I think we're we're all ready to uh make movies where I'm not the lead in it anymore. <laughs> And so when it comes to your own stuff, I know you have filmmaking ambitions yourself. Are, are you going to, if you make a feature film, are you going to star in it? Would you want to cast somebody else? Uh, what, what's your plans going forward? I don't know if you're, you're planning to make a feature, but it feels like everybody's making a feature out there. Yeah, I, uh, I'm definitely not. I mean, from an outsider's perspective, it would probably look like I'm the actor, but I'm not. It's actually not really what I want to do. Um, I enjoy acting. I definitely do. I don't think I have a whole lot of range. So I think uh, going forward, I uh, I definitely want to um, just write and direct my own stuff. I, I do want to write and direct features. Absolutely. Uh, we can get into that more. I just have uh, two shorts as of now. And as far as acting in my own stuff, you know, everybody's different. I definitely haven't had the most wonderful experience acting in my own in my own shorts because it's just uh I find it twice as difficult to um, you know balance the two the two jobs. I would much prefer acting in other people's stuff. Yeah, every time I make a movie and I'm not the star or in it in any way, it's just like a vacation for me. Yeah. You know, it's just it's so much easier. I do appreciate the aspect of like, you know, if I'm if I'm in the movie too and I'm directing it, I can kind of like direct from within the scene just in how I do my performance. I can kind of like make sure the scene goes where I need it to go for the story or whatever. I can kind of like save takes almost by doing that. But in general, if I'm if you know, if I'm making a movie like Mute Date or Ramekin where like I'm not really in it, like, oh man, it just feels like I'm just like at the beach. You know, it's just it's so much easier. So you know, you're you're really big into film, and uh, what what would you say are the kinds of films that you would want to make as a filmmaker? I, it's tough. I I'm I've been changing a lot lately as far as like where my sensibilities are going, and I think I think if you would have asked me this question like three or four years ago, um, I basically would have told you that I just wanted to be the next Quentin Tarantino because I was I was very obsessed with Tarantino when I was younger, and now um. I'm changing a lot. I think uh I think as far as feature films go, I I I've I think that 
um, I am very likely going to be making horror films once I decide to make features. And then as far as short films, I think I'm going to be more of like a comedy drama, but we'll, we'll see. But I definitely think uh, horror movies is uh, when I when I get into the feature realm. Yeah, shorts. I I always feel like comedy is the way to go with shorts, especially when you're starting out. That that's kind of how I started. I was doing like shorts on YouTube back in like 2009 or so, and it was just a really great way to kind of learn the camera and learn acting and stuff without it being like you know a slog or boring because it, you know you're making yourself laugh, you're making your friends laugh, and that gets you through like the school of it. You know of of learning the craft and whatnot. It's a it's a really good way to um, get used to the equipment and all that, but yeah, for for longer stuff, you can really do a lot of different things. You you say you want to do horror movies. What are your kind of horror influences? Um, I would say my favorite horror film is John Carpenter's The Thing. Absolutely, um, I'm I'm very much so into alien horror. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say sci-fi horror, but I guess that that would be accurate. A recent movie that I, I've realized is kind of an inspiration with one of my newer um, ideas uh, was uh, Annihilation. That is an inspiration. I would say I would say just a lot of alien horror movies. Um, I'm very much into. I, I like Signs also. Yeah, Signs is wonderful. I I'm big into the alien horror too. It feels like you know they they don't come out as often, but when they do, sometimes they're really interesting. Um, I'm a big fan of Communion, which is an old Christopher Walken uh, alien horror movie. And uh, I love, um, there's this one that, one of the guys who made the Blair Witch Project, I forget which one, went off and made a, a alien horror movie a couple of years after it called Altered, which I would really recommend you check out if you haven't seen it already. It's about um, a group of guys who, they encountered an alien when they were a kid, and um, they now they're grown up, and they decide to catch an alien and like kind of like, torture it or like get revenge for it affecting them when they were kids really cool movie you know as you're as you're doing research for uh you know whatever alien horror you might do or whatever type of horror i would i would definitely recommend checking out altered and communion if you haven't seen them already i'll have to check that out because the blair witch project is also um one of my favorites by a long shot and uh, another alien horror movie that i love is cloverfield i i like found footage quite a bit yeah, found footage is awesome. It it gets a kind of a weird rap because, you know, there are so many of them now. But I think it, it has so much potential. And I think you guys realized a lot of its potential with Seventh. I think that was a a really grounded movie, almost in like a um like kind of similar to maybe Gus Van Sant's movie Elephant, where it's just like you're just plopped down with these very real, uh, natural characters. I really dug it. I thought especially too, like the stakes of the movie, the fact that your character has to kind of convince the other characters that what's going on is, is, is something much bigger. And the fact that like, it's, it's, it's around the circumstances of a birthday and the fact that like what you're following, I don't want to give too much away for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. It's on YouTube for free. Everybody should watch it. The fact that like what you're following could be like a scavenger hunt or could be uh, something planned for you, you you really nailed a lot of the drama there, and I think that's probably why you know people like using you as an actor is that whether it's living with Trevor, whether it's Seventh, you really sell frustration really well, and and that goes a long way with with these stories. Oh, that's good. I appreciate that. I uh, I'm probably my number one 
biggest critic. So that's good to hear. Well, yeah, I mean, I think everybody is to a certain extent. And I think, um, you know, as you get older, how, how old are you right now? I just turned 22. You know, when you when you get older, you're going to have different versions of yourself that you can tap into as an actor. And I think like, you know, right now you can tap into the kind of movie where like a guy starts the movie by riding a bike to school like that kind of like awesome, you know, 80s, 90s thing, which I feel like everybody wants to at some point in their life, either make a movie or be in a movie where some kids on a bike on the way to high school. It's just this classic image that, you know, I love in movies growing up and that, you know, I live in the city, so I don't really, I've never really had the opportunity to make a movie quite like that, where it starts off in that way. And we, we deal with the suburbs and whatnot. I'm still, you know, not in that period of my, my career where I can do suburban movies. Cause I do have ideas for them. I just haven't been able to do them yet. But, you know, as you get older, you're going to find different things that you can do and you can tap into, you know, as your your look changes, as your your vibe changes and all that. And you just kind of, you know, you listen to the muse of, you know, who you are at the time and tap into it as best you can. And I feel like, you know, with these three three films, you can always look back on those and be like, man, that was me at that time making those movies and all that. And it's it's a really cool time capsule that you get by the fact that you guys started out so early as far as making features. It's really impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Like as far as looking back and it kind of defining that era of your life, which has been which has been really incredible to see because uh, I don't know. I mean, at least for me, m- movie making movies, um, those periods of my life are always like, uh, especially with living with Trevor and not so because they took um, long a long time and were a chunk of our lives like uh you're really able to uh, take it and look at it as like a portion of your life outside of everything else. So it's it's very interesting to see how how you change and, you know, and as living with Trevor, especially because living with Trevor was like me and Caleb growing up as as people. You know, we became adults making that movie. Basically, we started when we were, what, 17. And by the time it was released, we were, you know, pretty close. I think Caleb might have been 20. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, it. It's crazy when movies take so long and seeing yourselves grow up. It's uh, kind of an amazing thing. Yeah, I think something that you're going to carry through um, your life as an actor, as a filmmaker or whatever, um, just talking to you now, you have a you have a very good kind of like straight man vibe that like I think you, you tapped into really well with Living with Trevor because obviously you're you're acting opposite someone who is you know, the silliest character in the movie. And, you know, you get your comedic moments as well. But in general, you just kind of have to be, you know, our rock as as viewers. And you you did that very well. And I think you do that really well in your in all your stuff where like you just are this uh, this person that people are kind of bouncing off of as far as your energy in these films. Do you ever like feel the desire to do more silly stuff or do you like to be kind of the uh, the more relatable character in things? Um, I I've tried doing more comedic stuff and I think I'm capable of it. But I think I am kind of just a neurotic guy and I'm kind of a miserable guy. And I think that I tend to gravitate more towards roles like that. I think that was why I kind of worked for Chris in Living with Trevor because I was definitely that miserable, depressed teenager who hated his life, you know, and then uh and I think I think not so amazing was the first time that uh 
that I was going to play like a genuinely nice, uh, easygoing guy. And I still kind of managed to make that character a little bit of an asshole here and there. Um, because, you know, it's just hard not to, um, it's hard not to lean back into, into your, uh, your own personal qualities, you know, because that's where I think the, uh, acting is the strongest when you're kind of, uh, you know, taking from your own emotions and stuff. So, but yeah, I would, I would very much like to play something more comedic at some point, but I also would like to play, um, you know, a very straightforward drama. I'm, I'm interested in, in movies that really, you know, commit to the, to the genre. Um, and I, uh, I'm, I'm interested in either, like a, just a, full-fledged comedy or a full-fledged uh, drama. So what's your, your acting background outside of uh, doing these films with your friends? Did you study acting at all? Did you do any theater in school? Not at all. Uh, living with Trevor was, I mean, Living with Trevor was the first thing that was ever released that I was in, but uh, I, I've, I've made stuff, um, unreleasable stuff for, I mean, God, at least five years before that making movies by myself. So, and I, and I also, you know, experimented with YouTube and stuff. So I would say just, I had a lot of practice just being in front of a camera by myself, you know? So I wouldn't say it, I don't think it was, it was natural at all. It was something that I just kind of forced myself into. Um, and I just got used to being in front of the camera and not really overthinking it. I definitely don't, when I'm in front of a camera, I'm not thinking that like people are going to be watching this later on, which is definitely helpful. Um, I think that I could actually benefit a little bit more from having that mindset that, oh, people are going to watch this. Maybe I should, you know, play it, play this up a little bit more or something. Yeah. You know, it depends on the project, obviously, you know, some stuff, if you get into the zone with it of just, you know, being in it, not worrying about what anybody else is going to think or whatever anybody else is going to if anybody else is going to watch it or whatever, you know, you just want to be in the moment. That's always beneficial. I've found with acting is just kind of like, you know, I'm here, I'm right now. This is what I'm reacting to all that stuff. What are, what are actors that you, you dig personally? Uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, you liking Tarantino, you like in alien films, but like, how about performances? Uh, what do, what are you drawn to? I like really weird actors. Like I'm a big fan of, like and I and I wouldn't say like any of these actors are really inspirations. It's it's tough. Like some of my favorite actors, I I, I wouldn't say I'm anything like like uh, I really like Keanu Reeves, even though he gets a lot of flack. And I like uh, he's wonderful. I love Keanu. Yeah, John the John Wick movies are oh man, they're they're too good. And I um I really like Michael Fassbender. Um, he hasn't really been doing a lot of uh good roles lately but i, I like uh fat like his role in uh, his performance in inglorious bastards is probably one of my favorite performances yeah he's he's hugely capable as an actor and i i i'd really dig that you dig keanu reeves because he just gets he gets such a weird rap i feel like throughout his career people think of him as one way like a lot of different times and then you realize well wait he's he's done like a lot of different stuff he's done you know bill and ted was a completely different vibe from the Matrix and The Matrix was a completely different vibe from John Wick and all that, but he gets this weird reputation as like wooden or something. And I don't, I don't think he's that way at all. He does what's right for the role and the material he's doing at the time. Yeah, I like that he's unorthodox because I don't think that I, I love watching performances and knowing for a fact that nobody else in the world could do it just like the way you know this guy's doing it or or this girl's doing it. So. And, and I think every Keanu role, like, he's just so unique 
in his delivery and his like facial acting and stuff that I don't think anybody else could do it, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I mean, that's how I feel when I watch, you know, smaller stuff, more truly independent film type stuff is like, you know, if I'm watching Living with Trevor, I can't imagine anybody else in the role of Trevor. And I also can't imagine anybody else in the role for you. Like, I don't I'm not clamoring for like Daniel Day Lewis or like yeah. any anyone like that. I want to see somebody who's right for the role and who's believable in that context of, you know, high school and that kind of vibe. It's it's something you can tap into as production values when you are, you know, making smaller films. The believability is is right around you. You know, it's it's the homes you actually live in, it's your friends, it's it's all of that. It's a really awesome thing to tap into, I would say. So tell me a little bit more about uh, Yakima, Washington. I'm not too terribly familiar with it. What's it like growing up there? What's the energy like? What What's fun there? Just give me a uh, an idea of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a bittersweet thing. I, I would say I used to like Yakima more. I think um, maybe filming not so kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because uh, we were definitely out in the worst parts of town at times filming. But uh, it it has a charm to it. There's nothing to do here. There's um, one movie theater chain that's owned by a family. That's about it. Just going to the movies. Um, there's a lot of orchards and there's a couple guys making movies, apparently. And other than that, I don't really know what there is to do in Yakima. It's just kind of uh, I, it's supposedly the, the, uh, the, the Palm Springs of Washington. That's what they say. But I like to call it the butthole or the butt crack of, of Washington. So it's a place where you have to make your own fun, it seems like. Definitely. Yeah. So outside of filmmaking, what what have you done there that that that's fun that uh, that makes you want to wake up in the morning and and get something done or or you know have a good day? Like where where do you find your fun there outside of filmmaking? God, I feel like that's a it's a paradox almost because like I would say everything that I would have to say to you would have to, would be like movie related to some degree. So it's just like you said, making our own fun. I mean, it's just it's not a very glamorous place. So you kind of have to uh, create your own world, I think. Um, I, I've definitely been doing that because I, I moved here when I was uh, 12. So ever since then, and I started writing and, and doing stuff um, the second I moved here. And I don't know if that's necessarily a coincidence because the place is just so goddamn boring that you have to you have to escape it somehow. And I think that's what we're probably doing a little bit. We're kind of a. Uh, we're escaping by making all these movies. So do you have plans in the future to actually physically escape Yakima? Is there a part of the US where you would you would want to create or live or or whatever? Uh yeah, I mean I the plan was Seattle at one point and then now Seattle's a shithole. Excuse, sorry, excuse my language, but it's a shithole and I'm not moving to Seattle and I don't think I'm going to go to Hollywood. So I think if I ever moved anywhere, I would probably go to like Texas or something like outside of Houston. And uh, no New York City, nothing. We can't we can't offer you anything here. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's where that's where you're at, huh? Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I'll think about it. I, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it right now. It comes in waves like there's times where it's really exciting to be here. There's times where you're just like in Yakima making your own fun it comes and goes. But yeah, Texas, I mean, I, I've never been to Texas. I hear great things about Texas, especially as of late. Yeah, same here. So Tarantino means a lot to you, right? Yeah, he does. Um, not as much lately. I've uh, I've definitely, uh, I would say, evolved in my taste. But yeah, still, I, I got to give credit where credit's due. 
So what what's the falling out between you and Tarantino? Did you have like beef on Twitter? What's 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 going on here? Uh, so I would say I don't know. It was gradual. I didn't, but I also didn't fall in love with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I but it's also just I don't know. Growing up, I had you know I was the the kid with Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs posters all over his room, and and you just get sick of it after a while. But I still. I still am holding on to that love for Inglorious Bastards. It's one of my favorites, and uh, and I and I I like uh I like the relatively new Tarantino now. Like I like Inglorious Bastards. I like Django, and I liked The Hateful Eight. But um, I'm not so sure. I'm excited for where he's headed because I didn't much care for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm a I'm a big Jackie Brown guy. That's that's my favorite of his films. It it just taps into just this really wonderful energy about like a time in people's lives, like. 40s 50s 60s as far as age and just like you know getting older and I I really felt like that was a really mature film of his I like Pulp Fiction too I like I like most of his movies I would say there's only a couple that I'm like eh or whatever but um I feel like uh the maturity he showed in Jackie Brown that was that really meant a lot to me I feel like Pulp Fiction was was kind of his most juvenile film of that period and then like it was amazing that like right after that he's doing this movie about like you know older folk getting older and I feel like that was when I realized oh okay this guy's like a ton of range and uh yeah I you know he's he's one to watch I I like what you said you said uh mature Tarantino that's it's it's my favorite kind of Tarantino and I think that's I I definitely see that argument for Jackie Brown I wish I liked Jackie Brown more maybe I think it's one of those ones that might resonate as I get older but um I I like Inglorious Bastards because of how mature it is um and then it's also why I sometimes dislike or at least you know don't not love some of his um other ones like I would say Once Upon a Time because he gets a little bit um I would say I wouldn't say immature. I would say he um, it's it's a little too Tarantino for me. He's a he doesn't restrain himself enough. Yeah, I think the you know, for me, what worked about Jackie Brown was the restraint of it not being his own material. You know, he definitely did his own stuff with the uh, the book that he was adapting. But uh, I think that that might have been something that reined him in. And I feel like over the course of his career, he he kind of needs something to uh rein him in just a little bit here and there. I, I feel like he works better with that because I feel like unbridled Tarantino can just be a little bit, you know, where you, you roll your eyes a little bit at it yeah. at points. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So tell me about acting opposite uh, Trevor and uh, <laughs> living with Trevor because, I mean, this is a character that's that's you know, off the walls. This is almost like a cartoon character. It's almost like you're in like Roger Rabbit or something. To be opposite that for that long, I know you shot for a very long time. I know he switches it on and off. You know, when when the cameras are off, he's not Trevor. When the cameras are on, he's Trevor. But to to act against basically a cartoon character, what was that like? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say it was a lot of fun and it was... Um I think what was what was most interesting, I think on on Caleb's episode, he mentioned, you know, people who knew Adam, you know, when they saw the performance, they were shocked by it. You know, they didn't know he could do it. But I what I saw, it was it was always um, people who saw his the performance before they saw the person, which is, you know, a lot of the people who watch the movie. But like a lot of our friends who didn't know Adam yet, 
they saw the movie and met Adam in person. And it was like hilarious because like Caleb was saying, he's nothing like that. He's funny in, in both versions are funny. He's not just funny as Trevor, I think. And that's what I love about Adam because it's, he's, he's displaying completely two different senses of humor when he's Trevor. It's the, it's the Trevor humor, which is pretty hard to explain, to be honest. And then he, he goes back and he's Adam when the cameras are off and he's, he's very dry and kind of mellow. And it was, it, there was never a boring moment. Yeah, it seems like uh, you know that that sounds about what I would what I would expect. And he he comes across to me as like for some reason you know when I was watching like the behind the scenes or something, it was funny when he was saying like, "Oh, I only want to do Trevor and whatnot." And like as he's talking, I'm like, "Yeah, but you're kind of interesting just uh, talking right now." Like I'm compelled. Like you could play totally like a grounded role i'm like i'm kind of like cheerleading him doing you know more serious more realistic performance and something because i think uh, i think there's a lot there yeah i agree i think we've kind of uh low-key been trying to get him to act or pursue acting and to some degree because we, we i we all suspect that there is um a lot of range there i think personally i think he could do a lot so with not so amazing that that was a, a long shoot too. I know Caleb was telling me how like sometimes it was super duper cold out. Sometimes you were shooting in the summer. It seems like that was pretty grueling. Was that harder than living with Trevor? Was that easier? What was that like in comparison? Oh man, uh, not so was by far the hardest thing we've ever done. Yeah, it was very difficult at times. Uh, pretty damaging here and there, to be honest. It, uh, it was really tough. There were some really, really, really bad days. And I, I learned the hard way that, um, movies can sometimes not be super fun to make. I mean, it, I mean, and it sounds depressing, you know, I don't want to take away from the movie itself because the movie is a blast, you know, but, uh, it was, uh, one of the hardest experiences I think I've, uh, taken part in. Um, yeah. And it took, uh, couple years. I don't know if that includes the, the writing. I think the writing almost took a year. But yeah, the elements, I would say the, the cold was worse for me because I'm I'm always freezing. So like the final fight, for instance, was probably the coldest I've ever been. I just my body just shut down that night. Um, Caleb, I think, probably dealt with the heat worse than anybody. But yeah, it was tough, especially in the Yakima weather, because um, it's it's essentially a desert. So we've got really hot summers, really cold winters. So it was tough. It was really tough. It's funny because it's almost like you're describing working on like a huge Hollywood comic book movie. I wonder if that's almost like the curse of, you know, making a, a superhero movie, whether it's at a low budget or high budget, is that you're kind of you end up really busting your ass and working really hard and there are hard days and and all that. Um, I, I hope that people listening like, you know, when they when they watch these movies, these smaller movies, I hope they realize like just because you're making something for like 200 bucks or 500 bucks or whatever you're making it for it doesn't mean you're you're working any less hard than a huge movie you know you are dealing with hard days you are freezing you are hot you are doing whatever it takes to get the movie done there really isn't a a lazy movie you know i i i've found i've made a bunch myself and i feel like every movie you know it has its it has its difficult parts it has its uh it's frustrations for sure. And, um, it's, it's a lot of hard work making anything. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, sometimes you're doing very similar things minus the element of getting paid. So it's, I mean, you can watch a, a Hollywood movie and be like, that looks really hard to make, 
but they've all got a hefty paycheck because of it. But it's like, you know, here we are making a, a really hard movie, but we never we never got money from it. You know, we're not asking for money. It's just like we're just doing it for fun. And it's still extremely hard. So did you make seventh after that or before that? I don't know the exact lineage of like uh, that in that regard. Yeah, so not so. We made and released three separate movies um, during the production of Not So, uh, which is baffling looking back on it. Um, we, Me and Caleb wrote, we wrote Not So, um, and then we shot for a few months, and then I um, wrote and directed a short called Waffles and released that, and then we started shooting Not So again when summer rolled around and shot for another three or four months. And then that's when um, we filmed the entirety of Seventh and uh, a short film my buddy Kyle made um, called The Apology. So at one point we were making three movies at, at, at one time, which was insane. And uh, that was, those were some long, long nights. And then, uh, and then yeah, we, went, we released Seventh and The Apology and then finally uh, finished up Not So. I think it still took about a year after after seventh to finish it up. So it was a it was a constant two year period of just nonstop making stuff. Um, and it was pretty crazy. Was seventh the easiest feature to work on? Um, maybe I would say I don't know. Easy's easy's tough. I I think that um. Living with Trevor was the most fond experience and it flowed pretty well, even though we had to, you know, we had to reshoot almost the entire movie at one point. And I would still say living with Trevor was it had this it had this flow to it. Um, Seventh had a seventh was a short shoot and I wouldn't say it was hard, but it was uh, difficult at times. I think I think especially because we were also making not so I think that if you take if you took not so out of the equation Seventh would have been a fairly smooth shoot without any issues. So what have you learned as far as like, you know, you want to make your own longer films, feature length films. What does a, a gauge uh, film shoot look like, you know, as compared to stuff you've you've done already? Because I think a lot of the stuff when you when you're starting out, you're learning, you know, what to do, what not to do, what your vibe is going to be. What what would your set look like? Do you want to push yourself? Do you want it to be a bit more laid back? Uh, how do you think your energy will translate to uh, a feature length film and and the production of that? I think I, I definitely I'm definitely a writer, so I guess I like to have a lot of things figured out beforehand. I'm definitely a planner. I like my films to be extremely chaotic, but it's in reality it's controlled chaos. I would I would compare it to. Uh, <laughs> like a, I don't know if you've ever watched like Louis C.K. stand up, but I, I, I his stand up is very interesting to me because I can relate to, like he he likes everything to seem as though it's 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 happening on the spot when in reality you, it's heavily written and heavily planned, and I think that that's that's probably what my films are going to be like. That's definitely how Waffles is, and um, I think I think my as far as my sets go, I would just hope because of the planning that we are able to relax on set, you know, because of the heavy planning beforehand, I want the sets to go as smoothly. I would like the, um, the filming to be the fastest element of the process and spend most of my time writing and editing. Well, you're a man after my own heart. That's, that's exactly my approach. Um, oh, cool. with my stuff. I, uh, I, I made a film called bed, which 
I I wrote and envisioned as a film, and then I I couldn't make it with the people that I wanted to make it with, and then I wrote it as a novel, and then I took that novel and I turned that back into a script. It was this really long process where you know I eventually ended up acting in the film opposite an actress that I found for the film. And we did tons of rehearsals. We basically, it was as though we were doing a stage play. It's it's a very simple film about a boyfriend and a girlfriend spending an entire day in bed together. It's just one location. And um, we, we basically rehearsed that script for a very long time, uh, many months. And then the actual shooting, I had always wanted to shoot it in one day. So um, that, that's basically what we did. In 10 hours, we shot an entire feature film. And we were able to do that because we knew the script backwards, forwards, upside down, left, right. We just we just knew this material, and it was basically like a filmed play. You know, I just knew the shots we needed. We got the shots. We did these very long scenes, sometimes like six or seven minutes, with like just an unbroken shot of just us talking. And you know, the common question I get asked when people watch that movie is like, "Oh my God, how much was that was improvised?" Like. You know, because it it just kind of has this very natural flow, but in truth, it was a very heavily written, very heavily rehearsed uh, film. We shot it in ten hours because we we did our homework. You know, we we put the time in, and it was it was hard to shoot an entire feature film in ten hours, but it was one of the easiest films I've ever shot. So if you if you put the time in, you can sometimes you can do an entire feature film in ten hours. I'm I'm proof of that. Yeah, that's amazing. I want to watch that one. Yeah, that's pretty much to a T exactly what I want out of making movies because I want I want the filming to almost feel as though I want it to be like a play. Like you kind of said, like uh, I, I definitely I'm plan my plan is to um, film in a multiple camera setup, probably like two, because I want to just be able I'm not I'm 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 not a fan um, from the experience I've had of, sh- you know, shot reverse shot style filming i feel like um you know an actor is only as good as the um person across from them it's you know it's like a reflection so i think that it's it's been tough i think that when there's only a camera on one person the other actor is only giving their you know 50 percent. so the actor on camera is only giving 75 percent because i don't think they can fully do their work if the other person isn't fully doing their work so i want to do like a it's two camera setup and just let them go like it's a play and just sit back and enjoy it. That is, that seems like my ideal filming experience. That sounds great. I I'm a similar way. I also don't like being told necessarily where to look when I'm watching a movie. So I like to have you know if two characters are talking, sometimes I just want to show both of them on screen for a very long time and you know let people kind of look at one of the characters for a little while or look at the other character for a little while and it'd be kind of like a painting where you can kind of choose where to look. And then, you know, when you watch the movie again, you can look at one character a bit more. You can look at the other character a bit more and get kind of a different movie, a different experience just by focusing on on different faces. And that's a, that's a strength to, uh, to shooting in that way where you just kind of lock down and, you know, make sure everybody's in focus and then just let the characters truly act with each other. You know, I, I try and avoid the, the, um, the, the massive amounts of coverage that sometimes films get where, you know, it's like, all right, well, we need the close-ups we need the close-ups for everybody. We need uh, the master shot. We need the two shot. We need like all this stuff where it's just like, it's too many options in editing. You know, I edit my own movies and I don't want too many options. Like, 
one of the things I always say is like if if I have like a really, really good actor where like every performance is amazing, sometimes it's really hard to choose uh, the line delivery and editing that I want to use because I've got like 10 that are equally good. It's almost better sometimes if I have somebody who's a little bit less experienced and I have like only two takes where they did it well and I can just pick A or B, you know, just I, I can just say I want to go this direction or I want to go that direction rather than like 20 different directions. So, you know, that I'm going off a little bit of a tangent here, but, you know, I think we're on the same page as far as like how we kind of would like a movie to flow as far as the production and, um, you know, as far as a viewer and all that. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think um, my biggest inspiration for that is um, the before trilogy, kind of the way Linklater shot those movies just lets you be with the characters and it just has this elegant flow that I love and it doesn't... um, it's not overly stylized or anything, and it feels very much like like a play. Yeah, I think that's a strength that you know films need to tap into more. I feel like you know we're losing the battle in a lot of the ways to television and to uh, series in general and serials and all that stuff. Where like somebody somebody will like sit down and watch like a ten hour series and if you ask them to watch like a two-hour movie they're like what i don't have time for that (laughs) you know like that's (laughs) that's two whole episodes of my series i could be watching come on guy like it's it's just like people people's priorities as far as time are are pretty skewed and i feel like if you can give them something that's 90 minutes two hours whatever and every time they watch it they can catch something new that's great you know that's that's a really beneficial thing as far as film because i feel like with TV shows, you know, they they get into this rhythm of, oh, if I want that vibe again, I got to watch the next episode. I got to watch the episode after that. I got to watch the season after that, et cetera. And I'm just going to continue in the straight line. But film at its best can be this thing where you just keep revisiting it over and over and over again, which isn't to say that there aren't great films that you watch once and you're like, I don't need to see that again, but it was amazing. But the the repeat watches that you can get at a film Sure, there's TV shows that you want to watch again and again and again, but to watch it again and again and again will take 30 hours, 50 hours, whatever. Whereas a movie, a great movie, you can just go back, see those performances, get something completely out of the story, the the dialogue, whatever. And it's only, you know, it's it's kind of like time travel where you're just revisiting this day over and over and over again, and you're just catching new things there. Yeah, 100%. So with seventh, I have some questions about seventh. By the way, I've, I've I've pet like theories about seventh, and I don't know if I'm like crazy or whatever, but I have questions. Do you think you can answer some questions about seventh for me? Yes, I will try. I'm not sure what's off limits because it's been a while since I've talked to Micah about it, but yeah, I'll do my best. Maybe I'll uh, I might uh politician the answers and uh, kind of beat around the bush a little bit. Okay. Now we I don't want to do this like super spoilery, so like I'm in my questions they might sound a little bit vague, uh but um okay, so there's a point in the film where you and the and and Micah's character are talking and you talk about Pokémon cards. And one of you says like, "Oh, I used to like, you know, collect those when I was like really young or whatever." And it just does not make sense as far as years whatsoever. But then Having seen the film, it appears to me that there that could be like a, a wink as far as like some supernatural stuff that's going on or that this isn't like our timeline. This is like a different timeline. 
Was that deliberate? Was that like a mistake? Am I am I crazy? Am I onto something? It's it's <laughs> it's fascinated me. I would love to um, pretend as though that was a clever um, Easter egg, but I think that that was just a mistake. Can we please just pretend it's like yes. it's it's a deliberate Easter egg because it really works for the film. You know that's 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 the great thing about like when you put together a movie. You can put it together in such a way where unintentional stuff works perfectly. Yes. And I think that's the case with this film. Yeah, I definitely think having that mindset watching the movie is, is a good mindset to watch it in. I It's just like some things might be mistakes, some things might be clues. You know, it just kind of varies case by case. But yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think that's what you want out of a movie of that type. Absolutely. Like you, it, it kind of has to be that Donnie Darko type thing where like everybody has their own theory. Once you venture into that territory, you know, you really want people to have their own their own fan theories and to get their own things out of it for sure. Yeah. So do you like that kind of like mind bending cinema? Do you like movies where you have to kind of like analyze them and pick them apart and have theories and stuff? Is that your taste? I do. I think it's definitely Micah's thing. Um we definitely had a lot of fun coming up with crazy ideas for seventh and uh, blowing each other's minds with the, the twists and the turns. So that was a lot of fun. And, uh, but I definitely think that's Micah's thing. A lot of Micah's favorite movies are, have that, Oh my God moment, you know, in the third act or something. Uh, so I think that that's more for him than it is for probably any of us, but I do like, I mean, I definitely do like my fair share of crazy movies, I'm definitely, I don't know, I think out of the whole group of guys, like my my thing is definitely just, there's kind of an ongoing joke that I, that I, um, because I don't really like animation or, um, or like, I'm, I, like all my favorite movies are rated R, I guess. That's what I'll say. Like, I'm, I'm just definitely like into violent stuff. And I think that's probably what I, what I most flock to. So I have one more question about Seventh, and it's, it's, it pertains to the, basically where the film goes. So obviously I have to be careful about spoilers, but um, you know, the, when we find out the event or whatever, you know, that, that event is the kind of thing that was happening maybe 10 years after that, you know, that was, that was more like a more recent phenomenon. I feel like as compared to, you know, something that would happen in the, in the year that you guys were talking about. So in that sense, I feel like that supports the alternate timeline thing that I'm I'm picking up on with the I'm I'm using the Pokemon cards thing because I feel like that in conjunction with the Pokemon cards thing that just points to me as like all right this is another earth this is another timeline this is another dimension whatever is is that am I on to something do I make sense Yeah I think the uh, event that you're talking about you could definitely you could totally look at it like that that um yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You could de you could look at it as though it's kind of a alternate timeline thing. And I think that that would still I actually think in a lot of ways that might um, make more sense, actually, now that I think about it, because I always kind of wondered, I think that that aspect of the story is slightly abandoned once once as, as things are revealed. So I think that that actually kind of makes things more interesting. And, and yeah, you could play around with stuff all day and I think it would actually work. And I think that you could totally, yeah, you could totally do that. So what's uh, what's directly next for you? Do you have anything that you're writing right now? Do you have anything that you want to write? What's uh, what's on your plate? Yeah, I, 
I've written, I have a short film that I wrote called How Are You Doing? That's I'm going to start shooting hopefully soon once I find, once I cast for it. And I'm writing a miniseries right now, which I'm really excited about. Uh, that's going to be after also. I, the, it's tough because I, I've been working on a feature for, oh man, like three years. Like I've, I've been writing a feature for about three years, but recently about in the last month or so, I, I actually finally decided to abandon it because it just, um, that's really tough. One of the things that I've learned the hard way is the, the longer you spend on something, the, it only gets harder. And especially when you're still growing up, you know, I was, I was writing this, this feature for like three years and, and I caught myself, I, I, I caught myself thinking, why, why am I constantly rewriting this? And I realized that it was because I was trying to make it more relevant to who I was in the moment because it was, it was, the script is so personal and it was just, it's so me from three years ago. It's just not who I am anymore. So I couldn't make that movie anymore. Um, but so I guess the reason I bring it up is because it feels like I've been working towards a feature for a long time and I finally just had to let it go. So it feels a little bit weird. feels like I'm kind of, uh, starting fresh a little bit with these shorts and the mini series that I'm working on. And I'm pretty excited about it and I'm still planning on making a feature, but right now I just need to just make something, make something that's, that's me, you know? Well, you're talking to the exact right person right now, because that was my experience with, uh, what was going to be my second feature film way back in like 2012. You know, it was, uh, it was a film that I worked on for about three years, and I, I had more resources at my disposal than you did. I had a Hollywood producer. I had all this uh, attention, all this buzz. It was, it was going to be this thing. It was going to be a big movie. It was going to be this, uh, you know, whatever they, they consider a big movie. You know, it was still going to be fairly independent, but it was going to be through the Hollywood system. It was going to have some name actors, whatever. And it was, it was a nightmare because... It was this film that I really cared about and I was really passionate about. And then as people just wanted to do different things with it, it just became less and less what it really needed to be. And eventually it was just something where I was just like, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to do something else. And I'm glad I made that choice because it just wouldn't have been what it needed to be. And sometimes ideas have like a shelf life. You know, for for a time when you have the idea, you kind of have like maybe six months, nine months to really just kind of do it and have it mean something in that moment. And sometimes it takes too long and, and the ideas that were good from it, they'll just come up in some other project, you know, like whatever gold was there. You you make a film maybe four or five years later and you're going to be like, oh, wow, I, I was able to uh, attack those themes or those ideas that I really wanted to, they, they always come up in other ways. There's a lot of that, that film that I was trying to make that didn't end up being make, made. There's a lot of that film in everything I've done since. And it's kind of like the, the stardust of that film is as that exploded, it, it went into all my future projects. So even if you abandon that project, man, it's, it's going to come up again. It's going to come up into other stuff you're going to see it. You're going to, it's going to have its life. It's just not going to have the exact same life as it would have if you had, you know, got it going and made it, you know, a couple of years ago or whatever. Well, that's, yeah, that's good. Cause I was the main thing. The hardest thing was letting it go is because of the themes and stuff involved. And because I was so, I was so attracted to what I was trying to like say with that movie. So it was tough. So I'm glad that, uh, that you think it'll kind of, uh, 
you know, meld into the other things. But I was going to ask, do you um, did you when you let go of that movie, did you find that you uh, started to be more creatively inspired, I guess? Like, did you just make a bunch of stuff afterwards? Like, how did that how did that go? There was definitely a delay. It was it was a very traumatic couple years of, of working with the studio system. It's just a horrible place to make anything. And it's a it's a miracle whenever anything comes out that's good, honestly, from from Hollywood, because so much is working against you, whether you're a small fish or a big fish. It's just it's a system designed for you to fail, basically. So there was definitely a period where like I just kind of needed to recuperate and lick my wounds and stuff. But after that, there was, you know, a big explosion of me making films again. I, I would say from about like 2016 onward was like a really strong period for me. And I'm still in that period of just like constantly making stuff. Um, but there was I would say there was like a couple years of delay where I just kind of had to grow up a little bit, heal a little bit and then, you know, finally get back on the horse. And, you know, it, that's fine, too. You're you're super young, dude. <laughs> yeah you got a lot of life of uh making movies ahead of you you you've done more already than i did by the time i was i was your age and uh you you it might feel like you know oh man years have gone by and you haven't done anything or whatever it's not true man you know what whatever age you are there's always stuff to be made and authentic stuff to be to be made at that period in your life for sure yeah it's uh I'm definitely me and my friend Kyle were talking recently about how we're at this period where it feels like um, it feels like, oh, if, if we don't if the, if we don't make this one and if it doesn't work out or something, this is it. And we were both just like talking about how toxic that way of thinking is because it just shows us that we just need to start making more stuff because we're putting too much um, putting too much pressure on ourselves for singular projects. You know, it's just we just need to make stuff and and not put our heart, you know, not necessarily don't put your heart and soul into something, but you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket either. Cause I don't, I don't like thinking that I don't like thinking, okay, well, if this movie doesn't work out, if I don't finish the script and if, if I don't make it, then, then I'm never going to do this. Cause it's way more complicated than that. And maybe the, maybe the script just isn't, isn't right. You know, it's really tough. I feel like a lot of the, I, I hate giving up and letting go on things, but it definitely seems like so, in my life when I have let things go, good things come out of it, you know? And I think, I hope that that's what's going to happen here. I definitely think that the the projects that I've been writing lately since, you know, in the last month has been a palate cleanser because I've just been working on the same thing for two years. It's been, uh, it's been just, and, and something so close to home too. I don't know. Um, I'm sure you've written things that are extremely personal and I don't know if you find this, but I definitely think that the more personal it is, the more close it's, it's, it's harder to write. So spending two years on a project like that was, was a lot yeah, it's it's almost impossible the task of really capturing yourself and 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 your surroundings. It it I don't know if you've seen Synecdoche, New York. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's it's the thing that he goes through where it's it's it becomes this impossible task to really capture um yourself and your and your life in any real way. You kind of always I found with my projects I need something between me and myself. So with Ramekin, it's a movie about a porcelain like dish, like a little porcelain <laughs> yeah. cup that like, you know, possesses this girl that like is living in her grandma's house or whatever. So there's a lot of me in that movie. There's a lot of my thoughts on narcissism and creation, 
making stuff and artistic, uh, whatever. There, there's just a lot of that. A lot of my thoughts get through there. But on its surface, it's this very goosebumpsy tale about you know a girl and a weird cup that she finds. And that was my way to access parts of myself and things that I thought and things I wanted to get across that were very personal without that de- that device, without that um, thing between me and myself, I wouldn't have been able to make something as personal, I don't think. Not at that period of time, at least. And if I really look at all my films that I've made, there's some, there's always something there that's like the catch or or the whatever that's between me and myself. And then I'm always able to, you know, dig up and mine really personal stuff and it, it kind of hides in plain sight because somebody watches you know a movie like Ramekin or Mute Date and they get one thing out of it. But I personally, I can I can look at those films and see like what I'm really getting out into the world that I I don't think I would have been able to if I'd done something strictly autobiographical or or hit too close to home or whatever. So you mean like uh, you kind of almost hide the the um personal stuff and what you want to say underneath something a little bit more digestible kind of yeah it's it's not a deliberate thing necessarily it's just that like if you get your your mind out of the headspace if you if you get into the headspace of like all right i gotta make this movie about this silly porcelain cup and this girl and it possesses her that's my goal right and then i sit down to write and guess what comes out me yes you know (laughs) It's uh, all the stuff that like I really care about comes out of it. And somebody else writing that exact same story, it, some something else is going to come out of them. You know, I'm the only person that can write a, a porcelain cup movie that feels like me. You know, a- anybody else is going to have their own thing. So I've found that the most personal stuff comes from me not trying to make it personal, me, me trying to do something else completely and then just letting the personal stuff naturally arise from the material. Well, that's that's really cool because um, that's something I, I try to aim for also. That's actually um, funny enough. The the po- that's kind of the thesis of Waffles in a sense. When I wrote that movie, it was kind of like an like almost like an anti short film in in some ways. Um, it was kind of a the whole purpose was. To have no purpose kind of because I dislike when when a movie is exactly the movie is what it's trying to say. There's no there's nothing there's no identity to it besides, you know, I guess like ideology or or like a meaning like meaning comes first. Like you were saying, you were saying like you you start with an idea and then you yourself, your personality kind of uh, comes later as you're writing it, which is inevitable, which is exactly what happened with waffles. Like I was writing. I started writing something about uh a guy making pancakes for his roommate and the other guy wanted waffles and they're arguing and and in doing so it became this whole thing and i realized oh i don't really have anything to say here and then i kind of went with that like that was what i had to say was that it's okay not to have something to say just make your movie and tell your story it doesn't really matter yeah people get bogged down in meaning I feel yeah. like because they kind of almost have to justify their weird hobby of wanting to make films or wanting to write stuff or whatever. So things feel like they need to be extremely important. I think anything can be important if you make it important in a very natural way. I think it's very hard. It's too. It's almost too much pressure for the writer or for the audience or whatever to be like, this is an important film. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, how are you going to really sit down and make 
something that that's going to be that grueling and it feels like everything rests upon it yeah there is sorry to interrupt you go ahead yeah no go please go i was gonna say there's just nothing um there's nothing that feels as good as figuring out like what you're wanting to say as you're writing it kind of thing because it's like if that your goal you know for page one is i want to say this thing it's it's kind of boring but if you just start writing something you know and you and at a certain point you're like oh okay this is I guess I'm kind of saying this. This is interesting. That's that's it's it's kind of um it's a fun technique to kind of figure yourself out. Yeah, I want to if I'm if I'm really into an idea for a movie that I want to write, I want to find out what I really feel about it by writing it. You yeah. know, I don't want to know what I feel about a subject beforehand. Mute date, you know, I if I had known what I wanted to say with that movie, it wouldn't have been that movie and I don't think it would have been any good. Like that movie was a discovery of like me opening up themes and me discovering like, all right, well, how do I really feel about this? All right, well, if I feel that way, how do I really feel about the way that I feel about that? And then et cetera. And it's it's a journey, just like it is for the characters of of any film. It's got to be a journey for the writer as well. You know, if it, it's like kind of like the thing people talk about when you're writing like a biography or you're writing, you know, a historical book about a period of time you write it because you want to find out more about it. And the easiest way to find more out more about it is to write a book about it. So if you're, if you're really interested in bridges, then you learn everything there is to know about bridges. You don't write the book about bridges when you already know everything about bridges. It, you have to learn new things along the way, whether it's something that's very fact-based, like a book about bridges, or it's a relationship movie. You know, If you, if you start a relationship movie going like all right girlfriends are like this boyfriends are like (laughs) this you know this is what it's like folks here you go then everybody watching is just gonna be like ugh, like man (laughs) like you didn't learn anything you're just like kind of like telling me everything you feel about this thing and and man like you got to go on the journey with the audience i feel as a writer yeah definitely and i really loved in in mute date i like i like the um the alpha beta thing at the end that it kind of felt like you were, um, I mean, I'm sure you were setting it up in to some extent, but it also kind of felt like you kind of along with the audience were discovering that element of the movie. And, and I really liked that at the end, the whole like a uh, little arc that the, the, the guy character has. Yeah. It's this, uh, it's this Pandora's box. It's this Schrodinger's cat. It's this weird kind of thing with any, I feel like with any technology where you aren't ever fully sure what the people creating the thing really feel about the users or the world or what you're using, whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, some crazy technology, it's just like, and, and you kind of just have to play these games in your head of like, man, are they trying to control us? Are they trying to show us that uh, control is bad and hoping that we rebel against it? What, what's the end game here for somebody like, somebody who creates Facebook or Twitter or whatever, you know, are they trying to destroy us or are they trying to show us that we can be destroyed by this technology or whatever? So that, that was really what I realized with mute date was like, you know, if I made that character just, uh, that they encounter at the end, if I had made the CEO of teller, just this like one note thing, then the movie completely falls apart. But like, I basically had to argue her points in a way where I could get, on board with them you know that was the easiest way for me to make her um harriet miller the uh, ceo make her real and make 
what she says, another thing to then think about as in re- in regards to the film was like I just had to like kind of be like a a lawyer that was assigned to defend her, you know, in a sense. And that's something I carry over into my more relationship oriented movies where like maybe I'm playing the lead role and maybe the, you know, the other lead is a girlfriend of mine or somebody that I'm seeing or whatever. I got to put so much of myself into what she says, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm guessing at like, here's what she would say, or here's whatever. It's just like, man, that's when you get really thin characters. You know, I have to basically put myself in, in her shoes. And a lot of the times like, man, people think like, Oh, bed, you're in it. You wrote it. You're probably a lot like the main character in it. It's like, nah, I'm actually kind of more like the girl, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more like that character because when you write something, you're everybody, you know, you're, if, if you're truly writing it, there's some part of you in in yes in every character because that's how you get empathy that's how you get people to care about any number of characters in your stuff yeah i uh sorry not to just like go on a, like a huge tangent but yeah that's that's really tough to do not straw manning um uh, you know characters that you maybe that you don't agree with or you, you know you don't really relate to where they're like quote unquote the bad guy of the film it's so hard not to straw man them and make the the main character look you know better and that was that's a it's a really good like um strategy to have your main character have maybe some kind of stupid opinions and that you don't even agree with and and just try to do your best understanding why they would have that opinion or something. And that that's like, almost like you said, like having empathy and it's almost a, uh, it's almost in a sense, a, uh, it's how you like understand other people in the world kind of by, uh, creating these characters that you don't agree with and trying to understand why they feel that way. Um, and that's really fun to do, but it's hard. Yeah. It's also how you get people to be on board with being in the movie in the first place. Like when I made mute date, you know, I, my, political leanings are pretty much opposite of everybody else in that movie. And it was this thing of like, all right, I'm writing this thing where, you know, somebody could look at this movie and be like, oh, this is a very like anti-woke or anti-PC or whatever thing. And I'm not going to get anybody to act in the movie if it really is that at the end of the day, you know, because most actors, I, I don't know if you found, but most actors that I deal with here in New York City are pretty liberal and sometimes extremely leftist and and whatever. And they're not going to be in mute date if it's one note. And if it's uh, just me, you know, with my political screed, it's got to be this thing that kind of lies in the middle and is pretty gray. And at the end of the day, you walk away from the movie and you're like, well, I'm not really entirely sure what that movie felt and uh, what that movie was trying to say. I think it was just trying to discuss something. And so if... You know, if if all the actors in the movie read that script and they're like, yeah, I can get on board with that. That's kind of like your litmus test of like, oh, I'm actually saying something here. I'm not just like, you know, on some diatribe there. There are themes worth exploring here and they're explored in a fair way. And um, I think that's the goal with 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 anything you're trying to make. You kind of have to, um, you know, your enemies or your detractors, you, you can't give them all the rope to like hang you with by just being one sided or one note, you kind of have to um, live in the middle. That's where the art is. That's where the, 
It's like I, I always feel like art is about questions. It's not about answers. You know, politics is often very much about here's the answer. We're going to do this, whatever. And I hate that. I, I like pretending they have the answer kind of thing. Yeah, I like art. And I think that's why propaganda can be so dangerous is because it's like it's the thing of art being about questions and the thing about politics being about answers. And it's giving you both in one thing. So it's like, here's the question and here's the answer. Here you go. And I hate that. And I don't ever want to be that kind of filmmaker or that kind of artist. I never want to deal in propaganda. I only want to deal in the realm of questions. That's that's where I firmly am. I'm never going to be a politician and tell you I have the answers. And I don't want to tell you I have the answers as an artist either. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. And yeah, it's funny because I, I watched your uh, your culture war video. And I just want to say that was also really, really well done. Thank you. I want. I definitely want to do more of those. I'm kind of like spacing them out because I really want to make sure like each one I have some idea that I want to say. But yeah, if you're listening and you haven't checked that out, please check it out. It's kind of like a deep cut on my channel because I've been mostly promoting uh, the podcast and putting up my older feature films on there. But, you know, I do want to do like little video essays here and there. All right. So we close out the show here. I don't know if you've heard before, but we do stupid questions. And uh, are you ready for some stupid questions? Yes. Yes, I am. All right. Now, are you familiar with a video game handheld called the N-Gage? Oh, man. I feel like I have heard of that. I'm not... I don't know a lot about video games. It's it's spelled just like your your name. Wow. It's G-A-G-E. Okay. And it's the N-Gage. And it came out... Uh, Nokia put it out. This was around like... I don't know, maybe 2003 or so. And uh, it was it was this like phone slash handheld, like kind of like a Game Boy or whatever. I feel like, uh, you know, it had like Tomb Raider and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater on there. Oh, OK. Well, it, I, I just feel like if there was like a thing called N. Cody, I would be obsessed with it. So, <laughs> well, you should definitely go down the tangent of like exploring what the N gauge was. I'll have to. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it right now on Wikipedia. This is interesting. I'm hoping somebody gets you one for like Christmas or, you know, finds yeah. one on eBay or or whatever. You just I just feel like you need to own it, even if it like I don't know if it still works. I don't know if it's one of those technologies where like, you know, if you don't have the cell phone provider, like the whole thing like just dies. But I just feel like you need the end gauge in your life. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So many whoever's somebody needs to buy that for me and mail it to me. I'm saying. All right. <laughs> next stupid question. So your last name is Clift, right? Yes. Any relation to Montgomery Clift? Yes. Oh, really? Oh my God. <laughs> um, yes, he he is uh, he is my great great uncle. Dude, I I totally expected a completely different answer. I I have to say. Yes, I mean, I'll I'll tell you this though. I need I want to do like an ancestry.com to prove it. Um, but I mean, that's what I've been told since I was a kid by all my family. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've definitely, I've watched some of his films. I need to watch all of them, but yeah, I, uh, I've, uh, it's, it's very exciting to, uh, to have the last name, to be honest. You actually kind of look like him a little bit. Well, I, I, he looks like my dad and my grandpa when they were really young. So that's one of the things that I'm just like, okay, it's, I mean, they look almost identical. My dad's like 20 and my grandpa's in his twenties. They look very similar. And my great grandpa is actually a professional baseball player as well. So cool. What did he play for? He played for the, the, uh, the Browns, um, in 
the in baseball and uh yeah he was at the he was uh Har- harlan clift is his name and he was a third baseman and he was at one of the uh i don't know i don't know anything about baseball what's the like one of the the big the big games were all the like the pro bowl of baseball or whatever he was at one of those and he's got like a picture with babe ruth Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, that was that was a pretty exciting answer. I I thought you were just going to like no or who's that? Or <laughs> no, whatever. trust me. But, uh, <laughs> I I brag, I brag as much as I can. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, that I mean, wow, we had a little bit of a discovery there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. All right. Well, Gage, it was awesome talking to you. I feel like we we explored some really interesting themes as far as writing and whatnot. And uh I'm really excited to see what you do in the future because you you have a good head on your shoulders about you know, what film can be and what stories can be. And I just really want to see what you come out with. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I've always wanted to be on a podcast, so thank you very much. And um, and yeah, I, I'm excited to watch more of your stuff too. I loved Mute Date, so. Awesome. See you soon. See ya. Thank you all for listening. And if you like the show, please support us. $2 per month, killthelionfilms.com. You support the show, you support the studio. See you soon.